Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Joe, we are live. What's up, everybody? February 6th edition of the Holy Smokes podcast. Yours truly, Joe Ferraro. You give me a follow online at Showdown Joe on all social media. And, of course, Sean Rossap, my co-host, uh, who before the show mentioned his hair is an absolute mess. <laughs> I'm sure all of us viewing in right now or later on can confirm that Sean's hair is not uh, cooperating today or maybe he just decided to comb it with pillows. Uh, we'll discuss that a little bit later on. Uh, lots to, to dissect very good chance. What the people in the gym say your hands are made of, Joe. Word on the streets. Oh! Uh, I can provide some references. Uh, anyways, uh, lots to dissect here. Very good chance that Sean or myself will probably go off on a tangent uh, maybe oh, yeah. more than once on the show here. Uh, lots. Joe, this is going to be one of those shows where we end up pulling clips from it. That way people can... Maybe get a look at what we do here because I get a feeling that there's going to be plenty to uh, not just dissect, but to dissect and then punch into uh, the area in which we have dissected repeatedly to add insult to injury. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, there, there's been times, ladies and gentlemen, where the show just, you know, a regular show, uh, and we go off. And then there's the shows where we have excuses to go off, and then we kind of keep it calm. We just don't know. We're going to find out uh, when we get to the certain topics. We will recap uh, UFC Brazil, Belém, Belém, whatever you want to call it, um, a, a just – Oh my goodness, a, a crazy show. Just an absolutely crazy show. We'll we'll get to that um, for a variety of reasons. We'll preview UFC 221. We'll get some pros picks on some of the bouts there. Obviously, the, the main topic we'll be discussing off the top will be Mario Yamasaki. Uh, we will get to that when we kick uh, when I go through the list here, uh, and as well as the judging in Brazil. I mean, it's just it's it's something else to behold. Um, UFC 224 basically announced for Brazil, 225 in Chicago, 
Max Holloway is out of UFC 22 versus Frankie Edgar. I mean, I, I, everyone knows I'm biased when it comes to Frankie Edgar being someone that I've known for a very long time, and um, I just feel so bad for the guy. It's just it's, his luck lately, again, continues to just destroy him. TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt. Cody Garbrandt's trying to talk himself into a rematch. TJ Dillashaw is not having any of it. Demetrius Johnson uh, kind of announced that, you know what, this super fight with TJ Dillashaw is in negotiations right now. This could actually be happening. Uh, continue with the conversation or the topic of Brazil, the John Dodson, Dodson, excuse me, Pedro Munoz debacle. Oh, my uh, God. We'll, yeah, we'll get into that in a second. Um, I, think that's, I think that's what we kick off with. I think that's what we kick off with because I think that the the gross negligence in uh, virtually every field of regulating and executing mixed martial arts failed to some degree on this show in Brazil. From the hotel allegedly not having hot water to Pedro Munoz not weighing in on weight to uh, Prezeres also not making weight and then showing up the next day above the weight that he had agreed to show up at. Then UFC initially uh, having this miscommunication that they weren't going to pay John Dodson. Then there's the judges. Then there's the referees. It's it's just, it's absurd. It's obscene and it's gross What's go, what has Continued to go on, specifically in Brazil. This is a territory that the UFC can't just be like, okay, we're not going there anymore. They have to go there. It's a big market. They, they have to attack it. They have a lot of stars from there. But man, the, from the commission to the judges to the refereeing to the hotel, what a, what a series of just uh, stooges everywhere. I was- that was the word that was, I was just going to mention. Stooges effect. It just was. It just compounded. Uh, it dominoed nonstop, and I, I can't understand how some of this stuff um, went down. Like I'm sitting here looking at the UFC Fight Night Machida versus Anders page, and I, all I see in the middle there uh, is Jaw Dotson and Pedro Munoz, and then I also see the you know Valentina Shevchenko uh, and Priscilla Cachuera, like. Just craziness, absolute craziness. I don't get this Munoz situation with the UFC, how it's happened before, it's happened on numerous occasions, and how the miscommunication can go out there that Dotson is not getting paid uh, for at least his show money and something in return. He did nothing wrong. The fact of the matter is he didn't even weigh in at 136. He weighed in at 135. Yes, he's a former flyweight. I get that. No problem. Didn't have to weigh in at 135. Right. And, you know, what's your take on how it all went down? Because Munoz was 140 the morning of the weigh-ins. Um, Preserus, that's that's crazy. We'll, we'll get yeah. to that in a second. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it. So uh, the Munoz thing, like, I don't blame Jod Donson for not wanting to take this fight. Pedro Munoz is dangerous. He's very dangerous, and the wrong kind of loss could lead John Dodson down the wrong career path and really mess him up for good. It really could. Now, there, there is an issue. Pedro Munoz said that the hotel ran out of hot water. You do need hot water if you're cutting weight like that. Like, it is a valuable tool. Is that on the UFC? Is that on the hotel? Like, should they have, have known better? I mean, it's their first time in the city, so they, they probably couldn't have known better. I bet you they will in the future. I bet you that, that situation will not happen there again. As far as John Dodson not taking the fight and not getting paid necessarily... And then it being cleared up and like, yeah, he's getting his Reebok money and he's getting a portion of his show money. That should be explicitly stated in the contract. Like, I'm going to make at least this amount of money, this percentage, if my person doesn't show up on weight. Because that's what you signed on for. You signed on to fight this person at this weight. If they miss weight, then maybe they're 20 or 40% in Prezeris' 
case uh, that Desmond Green got, maybe it's not enough. And we saw that weight advantage play a significant role for Prezeris because he's facing a very good wrestler in Desmond Green. And he was able to manhandle Desmond Green for quite a bit of that. Do I think that that would have happened if he showed up on weight? I have my doubts. So that was just... And and the fact, Joe, that that was like the third or fourth biggest like malpractice story out of this weekend, that says something. Yeah, I mean, you don't even have to know about missing weight or any of the weight complications or weight issues that Preseras had. When he just, just looked at him... And Desmond Green, you were like, what? This is old school UFC 7, David versus Goliath sort of thing. Not that bad, but that dude was huge, massive compared to Desmond, who looked like he didn't have an ounce of fat on him. I mean, he was ripped to shreds, but Prezeris just looked like an absolute monster physically in the octagon there. And I I, I legit felt bad um, because Desmond was game. He took a bit of a beating, but he was game, and he tried and tried and tried, but there's a reason why we have weight classes. There's a reason why you you agree as a professional to sign on and compete at a specific weight. It was something that was designed a very long time ago to get rid of these massive mismatches, right? Because when you consider certain things back in the day when the UFC or mixed martial arts first started in North America, that was a huge concern because when when skill is equal, the bigger guy is going to win. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree, and... uh... And it just got started with that. You had two very controversial decisions that were given to Brazilians. You had Eric Anders, who I believe 70% of the media uh, gave it to Eric Anders. 52% of fans gave it to Anders, with uh, 45 going to Machida, 2.7 had it as a draw. Then you had Tim Means. 83% of fans and 95% of media gave that to Tim Means over Sergio Marias. And I, I, you know, you always see it. Don't leave it in the hands of the judges. You all can miss me with that that load of horse shit. That's beyond horse shit. As a professional prize fighter, where you make half of your money by winning a fight, you should feel very comfortable leaving your victory in the hands of the judges if you earned it. Tim Means earned it. I thought Eric Anders earned it. Now, was the Eric Anders fight so egregious that I thought like? Robbery, no, but the fact that it was in Brazil, I feel like if that fight would have taken place in L.A., or if it would have happened in Manchester, or if it would have happened in Tokyo, I don't think Leota Machida is getting that scorecard. I don't think he's getting that win. And and it used to be like almost a charming little funny thing that this would happen. It used to be like, oh, no. It's not, it's not like that. Eric Anders wasn't in the UFC like six, seven months ago. This could have been huge for him. He 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 did what he could, and it was a close fight. But look at Tim Means. My God, Sergio Marias is like what had one loss or one yeah, I think one loss in his last yeah. nine UFC fights. Come he on. doesn't need the judge's help. This was gross. This was gross. And Tim Means got on Twitter today and said, "Yeah, uh, these judges owe me fifty grand." Tony yeah. Weeks, where you at? Yeah, it's it's it's. Ridiculous. I mean, and we can make all all excuses in the world of the judges' positioning. If the vast majority of the fight in one round happened on the other side or off to the side, and they weren't able to see the action, man, you can see the action. Don't. I mean, if you know mixed martial arts like you're supposed to know mixed martial arts as a judge, if you don't know what is happening in a mixed martial arts fight and you are sitting cage side judging a UFC bout, 
man, there's a lot of people that need to, 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 to address that. Uh, we need like a hearing or some sort of commission to come out and say, what is wrong with you people? Because it is patently obvious what went down in some of these fights. And, and it's, it's very simple. It's a fight. It's a fight. Who is doing what to end the fight in the round? Who is doing what in that round? Who did more than the other person to end that fight? Sometimes, you know, you've heard me say it before, it looks like glorified sparring. I get that. But in each exchange, who's winning the exchanges? One guy can throw a three or four punch combination with a low kick. The other guy can throw one punch. Man, he won that exchange. That thing lands flat on the jaw. He won that exchange. Okay? And it goes on and on and on. People will, will argue to their blue in the face that a submission attempt doesn't count. What are you talking about? A submission attempt is trying to end the fight. It puts one fighter on the defense. Oh, some guys can are better at submission defense than others. Irrelevant. That fighter is on the defense now. He's doing nothing to end the fight. He is losing the fight at that moment because the other opponent has a submission on him. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not rocket science, but you get all these ass clowns in the media. And, well, fans are fans. I, I, I get that. But some of these ass clowns in the media that have been around for a long time continue to post up these subjective, it's all subjective. Shut up. It's not subjective. A triangle choke attempt to finish a fight or a rear naked or an arm bar or a dominant position is a dominant position. Stop. Stop. So when it goes to the judges' scorecards... Enough is enough. You should know what is happening as a judge in a fight to determine, okay, this guy won the fight. Or this guy's winning the fight. This guy won the round. Like, enough's enough. But it's just been going on. It's 2018, man. February 2018. We're still talking about stuff that should have went on, that should have been taken care of years and years and years ago. I've, I've had big John McCarthy uh, at, at the command course in our faces, constantly just puzzled by some people, puzzled by some judges, puzzled by some commissions who allow specific judges to continue to go in there and referees, okay? Like, at some point, I, I was thinking about it today because I knew we were going to talk about it, Sean. Of course. At some point, does, does the promoter, you know, I'm not, I'm not back in the UFC. I'm saying promoters in general. Do they, should they not have some sort of say to say, you know what? Listen, you're, that judge there is an ass clown. That referee, I don't want him anywhere near our fighters, because of this, this, and this, until he can prove otherwise, we want to have a selection of the referee and judges to say Nevada's, we're only allowed... Nevada's we're, letting Adelaide Bird go. I mean, like, letting letting her continue this. This farce. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm not saying the UFC is allowed to pick the three refs and the, and the eight or the six or seven judges. I'm not saying that. But here's the pool. We don't want this guy or that girl in there. We want, of these six or seven, these are the ones that we want. Because they, they've proved they're certified. You can verify it. Even managers and fighters. I'd be concerned. I mean, knowing what I know about mixed martial arts, Sean, and I had this conversation with many a fighter from Frank Trigg down, George St. Pierre, blah, blah. I was like, why don't you guys, your managers or whatever, go in and say, who's refing my fight? Put that in your contract. Who's refing and who's judging my fights? Because I want and I want to see their certification. I want to know that they're certified under Big John or Herb Dean or whatever courses that the Association of Boxing Commissions have that are strict and and rigid enough to say, I pass this. I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm seeing. I know what to look for. Because it's stupid, man. What happened in Brazil is stupid. It just started there. It it was just getting warmed up. And this next one's multi-layered. I titled the post-fight tweet, Valentina Shevchenko commits legal assault with Mario Yamasaki as an accomplice at UFC Balaam. What we watched unfold there was gross, it was sick, and what I think is even more sick is the weirdo apologists that have come forth 
and said like, "Oh, warriors! They're warriors!" Get out of here! Get get the hell out of here! With two hundred and seventeen strikes, Valentina Shevchenko landed to one, to one, so the camera can see. And when Dana White had his figures, his early figures, two hundred and thirty to three, that was generous. Those extra two were generous. Somebody I saw on Twitter was like, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. And I said, oh, did you stop watching the fight after the first round, assuming that it got stopped after that? Because it didn't. It didn't at all. She moved into crucifix and threw elbows, and even short-range elbows are really gross. Uh, By the way, Priscilla Cachera tore her ACL during this fight. Mario Yamasaki caught a lot of flack from Dana White. Uh... David Shaw afterwards said, we'll be working with the commission, said, sorry, quote, we'll be working with the commission to make sure a situation like that doesn't happen again. First and foremost, Priscilla's health is number one priority. We've got a team with her at the hospital and we'll be taking very good care of her to make sure she recovers quickly, end quote. Yamasaki, in a statement to MMA Fighting, said, quote, during the second round, I signaled to her that if she didn't move, I would stop the fight. And every time I'd stop, I told her and she moved and tried to escape from the punches. Unfortunately, I also can't control the number of blows thrown. Again, when a fighter is trying to come back, she's game. Fighters go through times of of hard effort and dedication to be there. MMA is a contact sport, and no fighter like this or likes his fight to be stopped with no chance to revert the result. In my opinion, I allowed Priscilla to be a warrior and keep fighting. I could have stopped in the second crucifix or in the mount, but she moved the whole time. I also recognize I should have stopped when she tapped the first time to the rear naked choke. I only stopped a few seconds later. About other people's opinions, it's their right to say. End quote. The Brazilian commission has came along and said that they discussed the stoppage with Yamasaki uh, held at the venue, or the stoppage uh, in question, and they made clear all of their concerns regarding the incident. Priscilla demonstrated toughness and heart during the two rounds, but those are two attitudes that should not interfere or confuse the referee when it comes to stoppage. In the first round, in the last couple of minutes, it was clear that she could not defend herself efficiently nor technically. That reflected directly on the judges' scores, all three giving a 10-8. Round two was the same, but obviously Priscilla was not physically recovered enough. That would have been a 10-7. A clear 10-7, they said. As to the matchmaking, the fight was approved by the CAB MMA. If it was not well matched, blah, blah, blah. They understand the errors. Good for them for stepping up and saying this. Uh, the matchmaking was miserable for this fight, Joe. That's the first thing we'll attack. I don't know if it was Shelby or Mick Maynard. Bad matchmaking. You know, we often say maybe these guys need some showcase fights, and I'm okay with that. Robbie Fox of Barstool Sports did a preview of this fight, Joe. And he posted it afterwards, and he was like, he showed where he looked at some of her footage, and he was like, this woman would have a tough time hanging in rough and rowdy. Like, very tough time. Then earlier on the show, you had Maya Stevenson. All due respect to her, I respect her her husband, all that stuff. She had never defeated a woman with a win on her record. And boy, that was reflected in her fight as well. This was embarrassing, and I thought that Mario Yamasaki's response was also embarrassing. You can't control the number of punches landed? That's your fucking job! 
I'd love to hear. I, your, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting within me right now, Sean, and everybody tuned in right now. By the way, your thoughts in the live chat would be fantastic, guys and girls. Um, I, I really want to play devil's advocate on behalf of Mario Yamasaki, but I can't because he's an experienced referee. It is not your job to allow someone to be a warrior. It is your job to ensure the safety of each and every fighter that you are overseeing. You want to take a look at a solid refereeing job? You take a look um, at uh, – oh, now it's not Herzog, but I'm drawing a blank. Who, who did the um, – Demet- or, uh, Desmond Green Prezeris fight. Guy who keeps telling Conor McGregor to beat it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Goddard. Goddard. Mark Goddard took control of that fight. That's how you take control of a fight. Yeah. That is a legit, awesome referee. Now, has Lucky. he made mistakes in the past? Of course he has. We all have. Everyone's made mistakes. But Yamasaki allowing somebody to be a warrior. Okay? Now, I will play devil's advocate with that because... You want someone you want to allow somebody to be a warrior in a fight, it's a championship fight. A championship fight where this contender, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. Give them that little extra leeway to try and come back, to try and survive. I get that. A champion about to lose their title. Give them that little bit of that. You can be a bit of a warrior to try and survive this. I understand that, but not at the risk of their personal health and long-term health. If it's that bad, sorry, you got to stop it. It's done. Come back and fight another day. I'm sorry, but it was just too much. I see the difference in in amateur and pro. At every fighter's meeting that I've been at, at a pro-am fight, uh, the commission or the referees will talk. And they'll say, listen, we're going to let it go a little bit longer in a pro fight than we would an amateur fight because you all have to wake up and go to work on Monday. So I understand that as well. But then you get that leap, as you mentioned, from there to a title fight. I'm, I'm cool with that, too. I am with you. But this wasn't that. No, it was not. And, the, and you can look at, at Priscilla's record of 8-0 making her, her debut in the UFC. But you have to look at the caliber of Valentina Shevchenko's opponents uh, versus... Priscilla's opponents. Yeah, she's 8-0. That's fine. 8-0 on the grassroots circuit. You're now in the big show. And you're fighting a woman who defeated Amanda Nunes. Maybe not on paper. Second time around, she defeated Amanda Nunes. Let's be honest. She should be the the Bantamweight champion right now. You can make the argument that maybe not. But now she's come down in weight. And now she's bigger than what she's supposed to be at that weight class. And she's a killer. A murderer. So going into this fight, I'm not saying Yamasaki has to sit there. Um, and, and, and I know this even from talking to Trigg and, and, and McCarthy. You can't know every single fighter that you are going to be refing that night because you don't get your assignment until that night. So to ask referees to sit there and look at every single fighter, the past three or four fights of every single fighter, like I would do when I'm calling play-by-play for Titan, different story altogether. Bottom line is you need to know what you're doing in the, in the cage. And Mario Yamasaki does know what he's doing. But as of late, these are decisions that are crazy. Like, I understand the Michael Chiesa fight with Kevin Lee. He got ripped apart for stopping it too soon when it should never have been a stoppage. And now this one here, where it's just way too late, it's like, dude, that's, we're talking polar opposites here, and, man. And he didn't even stop it. Really? I mean, he did Priscilla stop it. had right. to tap, and even tapping wasn't enough. Yeah. My like God. It's, Embarrassing. It's, it's, 
unfortunate. We'll see what happens. I, I mean, Dana White now, this is the, uh, the the modern day version of Steve Mazzagotti for Dana White. I guess he's going after him. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. But it can't. you can't, man. You just, it's too dangerous. You just can't. You, these, are, these are human beings. They're regular people whose lives are at stake. It's bad enough they're going in there for quote unquote our entertainment, end quote. Come on, man. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, not not a whole lot to really touch on from that show outside of what we did. Valentina Shevchenko looked great. Give her that title shot. She's going to win that probably pretty easily. Machida defeated Eric Anders. Technically, I think Eric Anders deserves another top 15 opponent after that. And how about him doing the right thing, saying, hey, if David Branch needs an opponent, sign me up. I know he wants to stay on that card. Let's keep him on the card. Good stuff there. All for it. Uh Prezeris beating Desmond Green meant nothing to me. It meant nothing to me. Uh, Tim Johnson defeating Marcelo Gaum. I just want to say how funny it is. Like You could tell UFC wanted Gaum to win. Gaum <laughs> has been training like a fraction of the time that like Mickey Gall has been. And let's, talk, let's think about their opponents that they've faced. Gaum, <laughs> top 15 guy. Gaul, CM Punk. And we're, we're going to mention that here in a bit, but also Tiago Santos. Awesome looking. Looked, looked great. Uh, tied Anderson Silva for the TKO record. KO record. Yuri Alcantara stopped Joe Soto's UFC career, I would say. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So that's, that's crazy. That's plenty to look out for. Now, they announced UFC 224 Brazil, UFC 225 Chicago. Co- prevailing common sense would say that, that Amanda Nunes versus Chris Cyborg 224, that's a main event. Common sense would tell you that 225 is CM Punk's probably last go in the UFC in Chicago. About six or seven days later, NXT TakeOver Chicago happens. Eight days later, WWE Money in the Bank in Chicago happens. That's a big week for Chicago. I'm sitting there like, man, I uh, I wish that I could find a residency in Chicago for a little bit. There you go. Jimmy Van, you listening? Yeah. Send him. Send him. Send him, send him, send him. By the way, Tiago Santos. I don't know, but I, I, I often look at fighters sometimes and, and look at them as, man, Tiago Santos is a dude I want to hang out with because if I ever get in trouble, that's the guy I want to my right. <laughs> that guy there looked like a legit fighter. Yes. Like it's not that it's, forget forget about being a mixed martial artist fighting in a cage. That dude is a bad mofo. Like he looked like. That fight with – even Anthony Smith, I mean, poor guy. I know it went into the second round, but Anthony Smith's a bad man. And he yes, took he as much as he could a human being could possibly take. But Tiago Santos is one bad mofo. I was like, damn, dude, I'll hang out with you anywhere. Like, <laughs> you are a bad man. If, we, if there's ever any trouble, Tiago, you want to take care of that? Right? Like, just gangster performance. Absolute gangster Bulldog performance. I absolutely loved it. Anything else? Because uh, we could talk about the show until you know, uh, the of next course, hour. Of course. Uh, well, there was more weekend happenings. Max Holloway was pulled from UFC 222 and injury his first uh, withdrawal from a fight in 18 fights. So that, that's what made me like a well, lot of people. Well, technically his second because he called out uh, Jose Waldo it should in Toronto. Be. It should be yeah. counted as that. Yeah, I think it should be because Aldo is ready to go. UFC said, hey, Dillashaw, we need you to defend against Cody Garbrandt. And he said, uh, I didn't forget the hoops you made me jump through. He doesn't deserve a title shot. I'm not doing this. I've got a baby. I'm not in training camp. 
He's like, I want this super fight that I've been after. Like, I don't blame him. Money, 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 money. Yeah. Money. I mean, he's, right? he has came out and said since then, like, it's not impossible. There's money that can make it happen. But here's the thing, Joe. If he loses it to Cody Garbrandt, does he also lose that super fight? 100%. Because that super fight now becomes Cody Garbrandt and Demetrius Johnson. And ain't no way Cody Garbrandt makes 125. He if. says he can do it tomorrow. He says he can. That is <laughs> horse shit. Oh, my back hurts. Uh, that, that'll be the thing. Oh, got to get stem cells done. Yeah, we we know the drill. Uh, Frankie Edgar has said that he wants <sighs> to stay on the card. Yeah. Eddie Alvarez has said that he would be a good backup for 223 if that falls through. I would try to put... I mean, it looks like Edgar versus Ortega is going to be on that show. And if they can't find a a worthy main event, they're going to make it a fight night. That's what I would do. I would have probably tried to go with Edgar and Alvarez or something like that. Like, throw that up there. Like, Have have Frankie go back to 155? Yeah, because I think he could hang with anybody at 155. I really do. Even then, that's not a pay-per-view main event. No title. No thanks. Yeah, it's not a pay-per-view event. Yeah, you're, you're, I want to talk about yep. want to talk about Eddie Alvarez's theory on why they didn't strip Conor McGregor and haven't yet. And I think it's brilliant. I think it's smart. He says that why would the UFC strip Conor McGregor of a championship when they have tried to put this Ferguson Nurmagomedov fight on four or five different times and it's fallen through every time? Why would they do that and then have no champion when and to me you don't announce what championship that's for. Until they are in the cage. <laughs> then you decide. And hey, maybe. That's a valid point. And you know what? Maybe you don't even do it until Bruce Buffer announces it because what if that thing ends in a draw? Anything bad that can happen to that situation will. And I can just see the comment from McGregor now. <laughs> just a draw happens and he just posts undisputed. Like that's it. <laughs> that's what he'll he do. He would. Do you agree with Eddie, though? Yo, 100%. I, and, you know, it hadn't even crossed my mind. It's one of those things that was so obvious and there. Can't believe I didn't think of it. But, yeah, I completely agree with Eddie. And, uh, yeah. Um, I don't. I do not well, agree well, with him. Well, tell me why you're wrong. I'll be more than happy to tell you why I'm right. Um, <laughs> Connor should be stripped. Flat out. Connor Wait should be stripped. Who's stripping? Conor McGregor should be stripped of the title. It's a Duke of Hazard, Dukes of Hazard line yes, right there. Yes, he's stripping, yep. <laughs> I believe Conor should be stripped of the title because he, quite frankly, has not defended it since he won it. I get the money fight thing. That was a, that was a beautiful once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And, and damn right, Conor, you deserve that, man. You got it. You nailed it. You deserved it. You earned it. Uh, but now it's back to business, and if back to business of being a prize fighter is not something he is interested in doing, because he's made, you know, he's made that bread, just you're gone. Give it up. This, this, the UFC and the title at 155 should not stop for anybody. It, it temporarily stopped for an extremely legit reason. Mm-hmm. Some people may not agree with that, but man, come on, give give, give the guy some credit. He, he he transcended the sport, uh, transcended all sport by doing that. Cool. Done. Made your money. Do you want to defend your title? Are you still the UFC champion? Yes. You need to defend your title. You don't defend it. It's been this long. You're out. Strip him. He's gone. And you have to make that interim title an official title fight. The odds of that fight being a draw between Ferguson and Nurmagomedov are astronomical. Astronomical. 
to the point where, you know, never say never and you can't say it won't happen, but I'm confident to say it won't happen. So there will be a champion at the end of that fight. And that will be the true champion at 155 because Connor's no longer around. Connor defends that title. Cool. Done. Get her done. Right. But this is still a sport. It still has. Sorry. Let me rephrase that. It is a sport. But it's still the business of the UFC. And if the UFC is the NFL uh, of mixed martial arts, you still have to have this sort of perception that everything is legit or as much as you can make it legit where your champions are champions and they're defending titles no matter who they are. I I agree with that. Uh, I think that he will fight again. I think he'll fight this year. But I I just think it's it's out there. He wants to wait until September. And if he wants to wait until September, whatever. But I do think this fight needs to happen before you. Say whatever this is for, and I think that's it makes sense of that, that. That's why Dana White wouldn't say what it's for, because I think maybe the first time we'll hear it is when Bruce Buffer says it in the cage, and then we'll get they. We, regardless of outcome, we're getting a great Conor McGregor tweet that night. So Conor McGregor says he's not fighting until September. I mean, that's that seems to be what he wants to do. So basically, he has been suspended behind the scenes for his actions at Bellator. Guys, UFC 221 is this weekend. Let's hear what the pros think of this the show's <gasps> co-main event. I'm so right. Curtis Blades, Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt, I'm a fan of Mark Hunt, so definitely I got to go with Mark Hunt, man. That's old school. He's a legend, man. Mark Hunt's a tough out for anybody. You know, the guy's certainly been around the game for a long time, but, uh, you know, I think I think he's going to find Curtis Blades' chin with his hand and, uh, you know, knock Curtis Blades out. Uh, I won't take a pick, but I do know, you know, Mark uh, struggles against good wrestlers, Um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, Curtis is a D1 talent, just wasn't a D1 school. Um, It's kind of one of those deals. So, I don't know. Um, I got a, I got a buddy who's been training with him, him out in Denver says that his hands are coming along very well too. So, um, it's going to be an interesting fight. Uh, it's a definitely going to be a good test for him. I uh, wish him luck. You know, all of us younger ones trying to come up and take out the old, the old dogs. <laughs> Mark Hunt. I'm a, I'm a huge Mark Hunt fan. And, uh, that dude hits, he's, he, that left hook he's got, man, it's awesome. So I'm going to go with Mark Hunt by walk off knockout. Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt. <laughs> I'm gonna go with the old school guy. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with Hunt. I'm gonna go with Hunt. Plus, Hunt's been off a while. You know, he's hungry. He's, he's he pretty. I think he'll win. I'll take Hunt. Hunt. He's you know he's a vet and he's still good. He's got it. These heavyweights they can fight for a long time. And you look at the top five and all their age. He's like 35 plus. You know where the younger divisions. If you're 30, you know. I even look at Ricardo Lamas, and even before his last fight with Emmett, I thought he was always old for the division, and he was 35, you know? So it's the, anybody over in the 30s, you're starting to get to the older older age in the, the lighter divisions. I don't know why that is. I guess maybe all the road work we do, like the, the type of training we do, is harder on the body where the heavyweights, you know, aren't doing it as much, I guess. Or the weight cuts, I don't know what it is, but it's it seems like the even, like Cormier, how, how old is he, 38? You know, like all these light heavyweights and heavyweights, they can last a lot longer where you, you see the lower divisions. Once you start getting in the 30s, it's it's kind of the end. So, scary. I believe that fight is in Perth, right? Yeah, there's no way you beat Mark Hunt there. That's not happening. That's just not happening. No, I, no, I, I, I hope the best for Curtis. I hope he wins. Um, Mark Hunt's a tall task, man. That dude's hard to beat. So, um. What's the easiest choice you can make? 
Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, I hope I hope Curtis wins, but uh, if I if I had to put money on it, I'd say probably Mark Hunt by decision. I gotta go with my boy Hunt, man. I gotta go Team Hunt all day. Um, I don't really know Curtis Blades, but he's fighting Mark Hunt, and Mark Hunt is a is a bad son bitch. I mean, he knocks people out and walks off. So, I mean, I'm going Hunt. I gotta go Hunt all day. I don't care who it is. So a few things to unpack there. First off, shout out to James Lynch for getting these pros picks. He always has them up on YouTube and his own channel. James Lynch is in a league of his own in that regard. He It's getting to the point, Joe, where David Tees will draft up, oh, this person's fighting this person, and we almost always have a thumbnail from a video of one of his interviews to use in the article. So shout-outs to him for that. Lynch on Sports, follow him. He does the MMA Industry Podcast that both Joe and I have been on. If you ever want to know what it's like behind the scenes of doing MMA media or pro wrestling media, check out our episodes in particular. A lot of great stuff. Uh, Also, as a surprise, I have a main event caliber guest at the end of today's show. Main eventing this show. Also, the the field almost unanimously going with Mark Hunt there. And that's understandable. Curtis Blades isn't a big name, but there's a lot to break down in this. As Jeremy Kennedy said, and you did a great article on it a while back, Joe, you start to see that top five in the heavyweight division. It's 35 and it's up. Curtis Blades is turning 27 this month. Like, he's young. And not only is he young, he's accomplished already. He is, he's won his last four fights in the division. The only person to ever beat him is Francis Ngannou. He has an excellent wrestling pedigree. Like, really, really good. He took down Ngannou. Now, it didn't end up working too well. But he's a guy that had a full wrestling scholarship at Northern Illinois University. And uh, tra- I know he was NJ- NJCAA National Championship uh, winner. That That's good. And Mark Hunt is not getting any younger, but Mark Hunt, Joe, is so good at avoiding the clinch. And we've seen it, like against Mir and people like that. He will almost shake people down, and when they shoot, they, they end up switching to that low single. He'll just limp leg his way out of their turn, and then he'll wait for them to get up, and he'll capitalize off of that. He uses his head really, really well because he's so small. It's not as easy for people to get their their 
heads and hips underneath Mark Hunt, and the way that he ducks down and will sometimes follow up with, with a right or a left hook, that helps him as well. Um, you nailed it on the head by saying he uses the limp leg. Yeah. Something I was never really able ever to do um, when I trained or whenever I do train because if I don't want that takedown, uh, I, I'm from the old school uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu world. There's a panic button. <laughs> Technique doesn't work. Whatever it takes, just get out. Takedown, uh, side control, whatever. Would you mind explaining to the people that are tuned in right now and, and listening later on uh, the limp leg theory because it freaking works. I just can't do it. Well, really, it really depends, but I mean, Mark Hunt, like, okay, say say he's going for a low single. If Mark Hunt's leg isn't limp, I mean, ideally for a low single, like what you saw, like, Mir struggle to get, you can't have a limp leg there, because, like, he'll have that leverage to uh, push off of the knee and go down. But the way that Mark Hunt does it, he spins out with it all the time, and because he's able to do that, he's able to just slide right out, to wiggle right out, and... Then he's like sitting there waiting, like you getting up, bad boy. What are you gonna do? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I got thunder and lightning waiting for you right here. <laughs> I mean, that, that's how he does. It's he's a real small heavyweight, and the thing is, always if you watch pro wrestling, it'll even show you from a slower aspect. Whenever you see a Jason Jordan or a Rick Steiner or a Scott Steiner suplex somebody, they get their hips underneath their opponent's hips and then do it. That's how you. That's how you gain that leverage. One of the things that I love about Mark Hunt's game, he'll throw his lead left, no no intent to hurt anybody. But what he does, he wants to set somebody up to duck under, and then bam, oh. uppercut, right there it is. And sometimes he'll even, like after he throws that like baiting left hand, he will use it to bring their head down himself after they duck. That way they don't have an escape route. I think that's really, really awesome. And sometimes if he doesn't find success that way, he'll start setting up other ways to get his opponent to drop the head. And that's just, that's the masterful, high-level striking of Mark Hunt. And with Mark Hunt, it's one of those situations, he is almost like a Michael Johnson of this division. He, You don't know who he'll beat and who he won't beat on any given day, because on any given day, he can hang with almost any fighter. He's going to, like Michael Johnson, he'll run into the Habib Nurmagomedovs on occasion, but then he'll show up and he'll knock out the uh, Bigfoot Silvas or give a Fabricio Verdum a run for his money. This is a hell of a fight, and it, it could be either really good or really bad because Curtis Blades, I would imagine, will rely on his wrestling. See, he is kind of a smaller heavyweight, but he's got to stick with what brings... Uh, I don't want to say smaller. He's like 250 pounds, but... Uh, so I shouldn't have said that, but I'm very, very interested in this fight one way or another. Of course, we get to see what this really means for Curtis Blades, right? That That's the purpose of this fight, in my opinion. Mark Hunt, we know who Mark Hunt is, right? We know exactly what he brings to the octagon. We know what he does all the time. You, you, you eloquently explained it. So we know what to expect um, from Mark Hunt. The, the goal is to have Curtis Blade sleeping, staring at the eyes with another light in a doctor saying, are you okay? Are you okay? That's his goal. That's his intention. I don't think we're looking for a submission here from Mark Hunt. What we're looking for from Curtis Blades is the ability to nullify one of the premier power strikers in this division, a history. guy that – in history, right? What will Curtis do to ensure that he's got 15 minutes not to get knocked out and B, can he get this fight down to the ground if he wants to and keep control – of Mark Hunt, eliminating the fact that Mark Hunt is on his feet where he can generate all that power. Heck, a hammer fist from Mark Hunt would hurt, okay? Any human being. But yes. 
Curtis Blades needs to be very intelligent about this because with this win, uh, or with a victory over Mark Hunt, it looks fantastic on his resume, and it keeps him extremely relevant in a division that's not exactly full of depth. Okay, and we might be the only podcast that continues to bring up the fact that he took down uh, Francis Ngannou and did pretty damn well taking him to the second round. Curtis Blades will, will, will gain a lot. His stock value will increase, not a lot, but enough. He's to already say, ranked hey, number nine. <laughs> yeah, pay attention to this kid, right? And he's a super nice guy, although that interview that James Lynch had with him a while back made me just pee my pants. What was he wearing the 1980s Belle of DeVoe shirt? Yeah. It was classic, classic. And what's with these guys again? In James Lynch's pro picks, um, not wearing not clothes. Shirts. Come on, guys. Like Louis Smoke is in in there cooking eggs sometime. What are you doing? Yeah. I yeah. think this fight, if he beats Mark Hunt, obviously you're going to have some time before Miocic defends his championship against a Cormier or Cormier defends against anybody. But I could think of worse fights in the world than watching Daniel Cormier fight Curtis Blades with Daniel Cormier's wrestling pedigree against Curtis Blades' wrestling pedigree. Ooh, sign me up for that. Hey, Miocic wrestling pedigree, but if Blades beats Hunt, to me, he gets a Cain Velazquez, a Verdum, an Overeem. I, he ain't getting Ngannou again, I don't think. But you know, I'd like to see if if, if Overeem is okay and he's going to continue fighting, which I'm, I'm pretty sure he is, I would like to see that fight there. But first, Blades versus Hunt needs to take place. Let's see what happens with that. Because if Mark Hunt emerges victorious, you know, we just chopped off a contender for a bit. Yep. Right, Blades has got a bit of work to do. Not a lot of work. He's not at 155. Uh, he's in the heavyweight division, so you know, just get back in there and win. Unless you get knocked out, because then you're out for a bit. But um, there, there's a few other fights on this card that I'm really intrigued about. Well, let's let's go ahead and cover the the main event: Luke Rockhold, Yoel Romero. Yeah, I, I wanted I wanted this to be Whitaker, but uh, Whitaker said that he's got a he's got a stomach issue, a bad infection. Hopefully, he can get back in the cage. Just it's a shame that they had to do an interim title, but they had to. Uh, Rockhold, a couple of things that I'm looking for. That body kick of his is special, but I'm very, very interested to see how that changes when he fights Romero because Romero, like his stance is different. I believe he's a southpaw, yeah. So how does that body kick change when he's not fighting a righty? And the thing is, Rockhold is a righty, but he fights southpaw. That's why you see him land uh, that, that counter left with such power so often. There are a lot of fighters that do that, too. A lot of uh, like kickboxers will do that, that, that make that transition. But that body kick uh, being a possible tool that is neutralized. That being said, Whitaker have found a lot of success with the teep kick and like all the front kicks and stuff as opposed to the body kick. Uh, Rockhold has also embraced that low calf kick, and I wonder how that's going to change for a southpaw too, because instead of going to the outside of the leg, he'll be going to the inside of the leg. And if you go to the inside of the leg, what does that leave open? That leaves uh, the jaw of, of Romero open. If he's got to like kind of swing that leg away, like that might leave him with his head down a lot, like we talked about how Mark Hunt baits people into it. And then there's there's always the cardio issue, and contrary to popular belief. Romero's fights are a lot longer than than Rockhold's fights are on average. Like Rockhold's are about a, a little over a round. Romero's usually going to the third round based on like at least his average time. Then there's this big question, Joe. Luke Rockhold switched camps. What does that mean for him? Of course. Well, they happen to be training in the same uh, peninsula, right? They're both in Florida. Um, one's ATT and one's over with Camaro and the boys. So with Henry Hooft, I, I, I'm looking at this from. 
I don't think Luke. I'm I'm trying to because Luke has to be technically careful. Uh, I mean, clearly he doesn't fear Romero, but Romero is is a stifler in terms of I'm going to lull you to sleep and explode so quickly that you don't know what hit you. Okay, and God forbid if you end up on your back, I am going to pound your face in. That's what he does. Okay, yeah, it looks boring. It's a la 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 la, and then flashes of brilliance. Rockhold, I wonder, you tell me, Sean, will he be well, – he knows this. He knows this. But will he be aggressive to say, you know what? You're not lulling anyone to sleep. I'm going to stick and move. I'm going to pound you and punch you until you make that mistake. I see potentially a lot of knees here from Rockhold. Okay? And we all know with, with, with Luke Rockhold's height, he's not going to be afraid to, to, to mangle, you know, yeah. to, 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 to get on the ground with Romero and say, you know what? You so much as leave a limb open. I know you're powerful, but I'm going to fatigue you some way, somehow – because it's a 25-minute fight. Yeah, it is. It it's, it's, funny, it's funny you mentioned that because I actually had like the, the, the lulling thing in, in my notes because you know the popular belief is that Romero just goes in and devastates people. But that's not always the case. And he's a very heavy guy on top. He's a master at manipulating, maneuvering another human being. But the thing is, he's not a submission threat at all. Like He doesn't even bother going for them. Romero is. And that's where I think a lot of the fatigue will play in. Because if you take down a Romero, well, you got a lot to worry about there. Because one thing he's in particular really good at is at working hooks to baiting people and other things. Like, he'll put in hooks and make you think that you need to worry about that. But it's all just an illusion to set up the body triangle. And I think that Romero is built the type of way. He looks really thick, but I think that Romero or Rockhold is long enough to get that body triangle on him. And that... If he gets a body triangle on Romero, that's the beginning of the end, even if it doesn't end the fight, in my opinion. Um, Rockhold has really good scrambles. We saw where he didn't even like hesitate to throw kicks against Weidman. And Weidman's got a great single, great double. And when Weidman and Tim Boats shot on him, shot their singles on him, he rolled right through. That could take a lot out of a Yoel Romero. If he's putting so much of his energy and his power into pushing off for these shots and stuff... And then he immediately gets just rolled through by Rockhold. I'm not. I don't know what what kind of uh, what kind of battle he's going to face on the ground. That being he being Romero and uh, the clinch. That's another thing that I, I wonder. Will Rockhold try to bully him around in the clinch a little bit and try to avoid takedowns that way, but, but wear Romero down? The clinch battle is going to be a very very interesting one. Romero is, and you don't have to worry about Rockhold shooting on Romero. I mean, we saw Tim Kennedy try, and Romero stuffed it, ducked to the left, and didn't even make contact. Like, he pivoted right out. It was really beautiful how he just completely avoided Kennedy. The grappling caliber wrestler, right? Yeah. From the grappling game, it's obvious. Like, Romero has an advantage on taking the fight down and maybe laying on top. But if he makes one mistake... Rockhold's going to capitalize, and if, if I were Rockhold, I would be all about volume striking, as we saw with, with Whitaker, who, I mean, he beat Yoel Romero in one leg. I, I said at the time, it's that's movie stuff, Yeah, being able to do that, beating the big, allegedly juiced Cuban on yeah. one leg for five rounds. That's that's special. Stone Osborne's hilarious. Three words, Yoel is scary. Yes, Dude, he is. Stone, let, let me tell you something, bro. Like... Imagine – so I'm doing Titan with Kamaru, 
right? And we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, the show is about to start, and I look at the corner of my eye, and I get the wink, and there's Joel with his wife walking. I'm like, please tell me he's, they're not sitting behind us. Please <laughs> tell me that. And last show, I think past two or three shows, directly behind us. And as soon as one of the Cuban fighters is competing, I, I just might as well take this microphone, Sean, and just point it backwards. Because it's all you're going to hear is Joel losing his marbles. And you want to see passion? That dude's got passion when one of his boys is competing. Uh, and at times when I'm sitting there, because you, you don't see Kamaru and I, right? Yes. So whether it's in between rounds or blah, blah, like something will be going on. And I'll look back at him, and it doesn't matter. He's just going this beast of a man is right behind me just losing his beep talking to his boys in the cage and i'm just kind of like you want to talk about scary stone osborne yeah that's passion don't don't piss that guy off so anyways he's a fun guy too he's a good guy to have a conversation with his wife is a gem just an absolute gem but Yuel is uh he's good peeps but when he gets into that cage it's all business and i think that the big mistake here is he's gonna have well you have to remember what he did with jacare in the ground mm-hmm. okay he punished Jacare. He sure did. Like, big time. Now, we all know Rockhold's defeated Jacare. Twice, if I'm not mistaken. Twice, right? Uh, I think I think it... Or maybe it once. It's strike force. Anyways, it he punished... Yeah, he punished Jacare big yeah, time. So, with, with Romero doing what he did against Jacare, it proves that, you know what? You can't submit me. I'm, or I'm a difficult guy to submit. And if you try, and if I get my arm free, you're getting a just a, a Cuban leather sandwich right in the mouth. <laughs> so you know it's a it's an intriguing fight. It's it's you know I I think I mean for if you don't think people don't think Luke Rockhold has a fantastic ground game, you're stupid. You're flat out stupid. It's amazing. It's it's deceptive, uh, and it's tight. He's got that squeeze. It's not the Eddie Bravo squeeze, but he's got those squeezes when he locks in a submission. Ask Tim Boach, right? So. You know, gangster, badass. We'll see what happens there. But it's a fun fight. And then, you know, like you said, too bad it wasn't Whitaker in this. But hopefully Whitaker gets better and we get to see him face the winner. I would agree. Enough of what we think. <laughs> Let's hear what the pros think. I see uh, Rockhold pulling off the win. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think he's just more well-rounded. I could see him finishing Yoel. Yoel is so explosive and he could still land a devastating you know, punch or kick or knee for that matter. Uh, but I also see him gassing a lot. You know, he he seems like he, I don't know, he's older. He has so much muscle. Um, I, I can see Rockwell just finishing uh, TKO. I, I think Joel Romero is going to knock Rockwell down. I think that uh, guys who move and hit as hard uh, as Romero does and you know, he's a dual threat. You know, he likes to stand and bang, but he's always got that rest on in his back pocket. And that's kind of what he did to Lyoto Machida. You know, he stood and traded with him a little bit, but then as soon as he decided to go for the takedown, uh, he got it and, you know, bounced Lyoto's head off the mat, and, uh, you know, that was that. So I think that uh, I think that Romero, uh, kind of the same thing. Romero frustrates Rockhold on the feet, takes him down, and, and beats him up. You know, I like that fight. I really like that fight. Um, you know, Luke Rockhold looked a little bit rusty uh, in the fight with Dave Branch. I don't know if that was the time off. And, you know, now he's got a little bit less time off. And uh, and, and maybe he can stay a little bit uh, a little bit cleaner this time. But uh, Yoel's a tough guy. He's a tough puzzle to figure out. You know, not a lot of people have done it. Uh, but Luke Rockhold's got great cardio. And I think, I think he'll push Yoel uh, and, and probably win a decision. 
I think Luke Rockhold, I mean, um, he's just a southpaw, big, great striking, great wrestling. I mean, I know UL's wrestling credentials are better, but his top pressure, what he did to Weidman, I mean, you know, you can't really deny his top pressure. I mean, to do that to Chris Weidman, so can he, you know, I, can he do that to UL Romero? I don't know. I, I think physically he's bigger, too. Like, I know UL is very uh, compact, just muscular. But frame-wise, I think he's a little bit bigger. You know what I mean? Shoulders, reach, height. And I think his pressure and, you know, and his striking is very clean. And that southpaw, he works the southpaw position well, I think. I got Luke Rockhold, yep. Rockhold by decision. Yeah. I think, I don't know. You all is one of my favorites, but I'm just taking Rockhold. Uh, I think Rockhold is going to pull the win. Um, he's more technical. Uh, he got he got he got probably the same wrestling. He trained with Cormier and Kane, so I don't think that wrestling is going to be an issue. The only thing with Romero is like that guy can be tired, that guy can be whatever, and he will go a hundred uh, zero to hundred in any minute. Then that's the problem with that guy. You never know what's going to happen. Like with with Wayman, he was losing the first two rounds, and then he just jumped with that knee from nowhere, and and you know with that guy, shit happens all the time. But I think I think Rogo is. He's the, he's the better fighter and probably the most experienced. Ooh, that's a tough one to fight or to call. Uh, I feel Luke Luke Rockhold. I feel should win that fight. He, he's got the definite the skill advantage. I feel all all around he's very well rounded. I think more than Romero, um, but Romero is just an explosive, super good wrestling knockout artist. Um, that dude's got power and. Uh, you know, he, he's good at using it, so he could easily knock out Rockhold. But I see Rockhold uh, putting it to him and, and taking that one, definitely. I see that. I see Rockhold coming out on top. Oh, man. That's a, that's a different one uh, to choose. You know, I'm, I'm going to say your Romero, just uh, through, like, persistence and athleticism. I think he's just going to get after it and, uh, and make Luke Rockhold's uh, uh, game not work. Oh, this is such a tough one, man. Oh, man, I love, I love, I love you, um, uh, Romero. He's, uh, man, he's great. But Rockhold is a man too, though. You know, it's just, I guess, I guess, I don't really resonate with, with Rockhold because, because uh, he's a lefty and he's, you know, and and a lot of my guys at, at the gym are lefties and they they all love him and they always all beat me up and I'm like, oh god, man, they're using Rockhold's freaking combinations. So I'm I'm for Romero on this one. What else are you looking forward to on this show? I, I know the Tuivasa fight is a good one. Tyson Pedro. Tuivasa, man. Th- those two fights, Tyson Pedro's on there. Tuivasa. Okay. Now, now, are those main card caliber fights? Not necessarily from an in ca- like a paper perspective, but in cage, sure, I think so. Uh, you well, got, look where they are, right? Yeah, They're Australia. Got, yeah, you got Formiga and Ben Wynn, but I mean, even still, like, you know, Pedro is a top fifteen light heavyweight, but that doesn't take much. How yeah, much no, you weigh I'm right now, Joe? For, I'm uh, one seventy nine this morning. Eat you some cannolis or whatever the hell you <laughs> Italian people eat. Fight at two oh five, maybe you end up there. Oh my god, I'm talking. <coughs> excuse me, Jake Matthews and and and. and... Tuivasa and of course Mark Hunt on this card in the main card. I get it why they did it in Perth and blah blah. blah. It's, it, it totally makes sense. But well, that that could headline an FS1 show in Australia yeah. for sure. But Tuivasa to me, um, that post fight interview that he had in, in his last fight, it was just like one or two answers. Like what did he say when asked? You know what message do you have um, to the heavyweight division? I forgot what the exact quote was, but it was something to the effect, "It's me again." Like <laughs> it's just, just, just yeah. like perfect 
perfect, right? And he's he's you know he's arrogant. He's arrogant, and I think he's got himself uh, you know as you pro wrestling peeps call it, he's got that heel role kind of being wrapped up real nice, right? Yeah. So I, I like it. I, I'm very excited to see him fight. Um, he may be overvaluing his own skill set considering he's fighting in the in the big leagues right now, but just imagine what his post-fight interview is going to be like should he emerge victorious. Um, th- this event here, or this uh, the prelims here, Sean, uh, the Formiga-Ben-Win fight. It's a good one. Buddy, at flyweight, this it's is a, a sick one. fight. Guys, ladies and gentlemen, that's a fight. Who's ever listening and watching right now and later on, that's a fight we should all be paying very, very close attention to. Uh, not to say that anything's wrong with Formiga, but Ben Wynn. And this is right now only one book has it out there. It's an even fight at minus 115. You know what weirds me out when they put like Ross Pearson against Hirota or Ishihara against Kinones there? That That's a weird one. But yeah, Formiga, Ben Wynn is a fight that I'm looking forward to. That's, that's even a little odd, but... Hey, whatever, man. Uh, Jeremy Kennedy not being on the main card over jo- or, uh, over Matthews, a little weird to me too. But other than that, th- this could have done with one more kind of big fight. Yeah, I-, I think you need just something solid, those top three especially, and you can fill the rest out with fights that just fight fans want to see. But, uh, you know, Tyson Pedro, again, I think highly of him, and I want to see how his game evolves. He is a 26-year-old light heavyweight. He, he ran into Elo Latifi last time out. Okay, sure. But uh, he is an Australian. He's on the show, and they, they probably want him to do well because they're going to Australia pretty often, Joe. Yeah, well, hey, man. If it makes money, it's business. That's right? true. You know, I'm sitting there on, on the right side of my screen looking at some of my stocks going up and down. It's a business. <laughs> you're happy one day. You're not happy the next day. It's just it is what it is. So when it comes to business, and, and Australia is good business for the UFC – they will keep returning until that attendance starts to dwindle. And when that dwindles, they'll find a new market that they will continually attack nonstop. That's how the UFC works. That's why they're not in Canada very yeah. often. Myself and James Lynch will have a post show immediately following UFC 221. My God, I can't wait to see how that, that April 7th works out. There is an NXT, a Ring of Honor, and a UFC show all the same night, all pay-per-views. That's going to be psychotic. Uh, a couple of other notes. Before the surprise main event caliber guest, Pettis Chiesa booked. I like that fight. Do you? Oh, yeah. I really like that fight. I mean, it's. I think it's a fair fight considering where both guys are in their career. Uh, it's not a loser-leaves-town match, but, you know, I miss those loser-leaves-town matches. I think, they're awesome. both, I think they're both lifers, essentially. UFC yeah. likes them both. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, it'd be nice to see a lot of things from Pettis. It's always great to see Kiesa try and get that rear naked choke. It'd be nice to see if Pettis can pull off a submission or one of his flashy knockouts, right? Or what if Kiesa knocks out Pettis? What does that say about Anthony Pettis if he gets knocked out by Michael Kiesa? Right? Do you see yeah. where I'm going with all this? I like do. this yeah. this is a this is a fight that I really, really like because it's going to say a lot. Unless it goes three rounds and it's glorified sparring and it sucks, right? And, and then again, it'll still say a lot about both of these guys, right? Yeah. So I like the fight. I'm really looking forward to it. Alexi Olenek versus Junior Albini booked for UFC 224 in Brazil. I like that one. I'm an Albini fan. Of course All we need you to are. Say. Uh, uh, Carolina Kovalkovich calls Joanna Janjacek blaming her nutritionist for a loss. Quote, one big fake. I, I lend some credence to that. Maybe not as much because apparently that, that, that company has lost a lot of people. So... 
What do you think? Um, listen, you you know what it's like to cut weight, right? Yes. I've never cut weight. I've been I've never you know in my twenties when I wanted to fight pro, I never even got to the point where I could sign a contract to fight pro, let alone trying to cut weight. I didn't wrestle in high school more than what I did regularly. I never competed in the competition, so I've never had to cut weight. But I know what it's like to be remotely starving and have to do things and and operate at a, at a functional level, not fight or not step on a scale hours later, right? So. I understand what, what, what Johanna may be saying, um, but at the same time, you're a professional, right? If you do trust people, you still have to do a bit of research on your own, right? Now, she was a champion of the world, probably busy, doing a lot of appearances, but still, at the bottom of it all is you're a pro fighter. You need to know what it's going – if you're changing things up and you're the champion of the world, that's risky, Always is risky. You need to be doing your research on what this company is telling you to do, when to ingest your food, and how to take it. So, yeah, um, it, it's I, I I feel for her. Uh, I still think she's lucky she got the rematch. To be honest with you, I, I get it, but I think she's lucky she got the rematch. Um, you know, I think it was, with her being as dominant as she was, then I think it was up to her yep. if she wanted to fight at one twenty five or one fifteen. Uh, usually, I, I'm against immediate rematches, but Man, she not only did she run that division, she made that division. And she made that division by uh, essentially depleting the division, which is kind of ironic. Couple of uh, notes: Carl D- John DeThomas accepts one-year suspension for drug test failure. Jim Wallhead accepts nine-month USADA suspension, and Anderson Silva has been bounced from the middleweight rankings uh, after his uh, drug test failure, which was re- re- revealed to be uh, diuretics and steroids. Uh, for as good as he was as a fighter, maybe the best ever, he is among the worst ever at taking PEDs. <laughs> he does it very badly. Yes, I, I'm, I'm, I feel like calling Luke Bernardi, uh, who we've had in the, on the podcast before, to give his thoughts on, on Anderson Silva. We'll have to uh, break down how you could be that bad at taking drugs. Yeah, yeah. Look how much. And Luke would be <laughs> like, I got nothing. It's, it's way easier than he's making it. Uh, on the live chat right now, Luke Matei is on fire. He's just absolutely on fire. Um, but Luke Luke sent me a documentary on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it called Icarus. Yeah. Have you that? That was just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, that's the kind of stuff I love enjoying. Uh, and I do want to point out something. Um, during the Cyborg interview with James Lynch that aired on our podcast here, um, she made it. I I, I I don't miss these things often. And she made it clear that she enjoys watching Netflix and a lot of performance-enhancing drugs documentaries. Probably Icarus. Yeah. Right? Icarus is the hot one on the streets. Yeah. That, that, that was You call it Icarus? Isn't it, isn't it Icarus? It's Icarus. Icarus. Too, too right. close to the sun. You know. All right. Canadian. It's my Canadian. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, Anderson Silva, dude, like, I know he's special, and he is special, let me tell you. He's a special guy to to have a conversation with. Dana White's always said it's like you know negotiating with an artist. They operate in a different frequency, but man, you know people knew it a long, long, long yeah. time ago that he was potentially on something, uh, and they chose not to fight him in their primes. So, you know, I feel bad, but you know, eventually, it's a risk, right? Yeah. It's a huge risk. You want to do it, and you get caught, and you keep getting caught. Hmm. 
Yeah, interesting. Machida wants to fight Bisping. You in on that or no? Um, Belfort versus Bisping or Machida versus Bisping? That I, is the question. I would prefer Belfort versus Bisping. If I were Bisping, I wouldn't prefer either one of those. One is a known cheater. The other one does not fight in his fights. So, or doesn't fight the way that you would want to go out at the very least. Ronda Rousey, the night after she debuted in WWE, still in the UFC's updated rankings. Your thoughts? Why would you ask me that question when I was sipping my very last bit of coffee? Still, number I almost nine. spit it on this expensive keyboard that I have here. Get her out of the rankings. Get her out of there. Competing guys, girls, media out there that are that are still a part of this rankings panel. She is not competing. Getting ideas out of there too. Not Take competing. him out until he fights. Yeah, you compete. If you're ranked, you are a fighter. Now, without further ado, it is time for our main event caliber interview. You can see the full one over at Fightful.com. Straight from Bellator, it's Patricky Pitbull. James Lynch talked to him ahead of his fight with Derek Campos. Here's a little clip. Main event level. Now you have this fight here with Derek Campos, which is a rematch. You guys fought uh, in 2014 at Bellator 117 where you knocked him out. Um, Where do you feel like uh, he's improved since the last time you guys fought? Nothing. Just very straight condition. <laughs> okay, fair he's enough. Strong, he's strong. Yes, the chin is very, very tough, like a rock. So, he, no change the game, no change the plan, no change nothing. He he like he, uh, he, he like stand up, but he like he like bang bang shock. So no 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 wrestling, only great heart and. A lot punch, kick, and keep going for for the for the the, the opponent. Okay, and where do you feel like you've impro- uh, improved uh, the most since you both fought in uh, April of 2014? Wrestling and straight conditioning, nutrition, and my my mental mind mind. mind. You all can see that full interview over at youtube.com slash Fightful. You can see the story over at Fightful.com. Joe, I told you, main event caliber. Every main event caliber in Bellator. So I was not made privy of this, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) I was not told it was going to be a surprise to me as well. And I swear to God, I am about to pee my pants here. Like, I'm dying of laughter here. Sean Rossap is a fool. An absolute fool who is an absolute joy of inf- – is an infusion of joy to my life every Tuesday, 3 to 4.30 p.m. Eastern. What a fool. Look at that head. Look at that head on this Woo! guy. I'm about to go grocery shopping. Oh, Guys, my. visit us at Fightful.com. Follow Joe at Showdown Joe. We're going to release some clips from these shows too. Please share them. Let people know about it. Uh, our MMA side still catching up with our pro wrestling side. Obviously, that's our – bread and butter, but uh, we are going to make this the biggest goddamn MMA podcast (laughs) in the world. (laughs) Uh, Definitely join us after UFC 221, myself and James Lynch. Join James on uh, Thursday for the MMA Industry Podcast. He's over there taking questions all the time. And of course, chime in on our live discussion and our forums. Thank you guys so much. Leave us a thumbs up, subscribe, all that good stuff. Until next time, we are out.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.